There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with today, not Greg and Colin, but Steve and Colin. Steve, good to have you back in the hot seat. Yeah, thanks for having me, Colin. Yeah, Greg is away today, so I'm sure this show is going to be way better than previous episodes. Always is. So Steve, over the last couple of weeks, we've been discussing things about the U.S. debt ceiling. And last week, we talked about probabilities and investing. You and I are both golfers. We enjoy golfing. And we're linking the probability of golfing to expected return. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a fun discussion about how things like, you know, maybe you don't hit your driver from 100 yards out from the green. Yeah, probably not a good strategy if you're, you know... Yeah, definitely not a good strategy. Yeah, you want the right club that gives you the right return. And it's the same thing in investing. So today we've got a guest joining us, and I'm looking forward to this discussion. Brad Barrett is joining us today, and we're going to talk to him in a minute. Brad is a managing director with One Capital Management. He advises private individuals and families on personal investment and advanced planning needs. He oversees the firm's retirement and corporate services practice. Previously, Brad spent four years as an investment advisor with a boutique private wealth management firm in Los Angeles. I love Los Angeles, by the way. I'd go there tomorrow. Brad was head of corporate services business development for American Financial Network for three years. And he's authored a book called Retire Right and is the host of Make Your Money Matter. And probably the pinnacle of anybody's career, really, is joining the Free Lunch Podcast. So Brad, thanks for taking the time to join our podcast today. Oh, thanks, boys. I appreciate having me on. And yes, you're right. My bucket list, my entire career was joining the Free Lunch. The Milton Freeman, no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> I'm in, boys. I'm here. <laughs> thanks for having me on. Glad to have you. Hey, before we get into the questions, Steve's going to hit you with some. Maybe just let the listeners know where you're joining us from today. Yeah, I'm actually joining us from our headquarters here at One Capital Management. It's actually in Westlake Village, California. So about 30, 40 minutes north of Los Angeles, just inside Malibu. And we have offices kind of nearby in Newport Beach, Santa Barbara, San Francisco, basically up the California coast, and then an office in Kansas City and then Toronto. Cool. So important question, Brad, like, is your office overlooking the ocean? <laughs> no. No, we chose to save on the dollar per square foot and provide more value for the clients than having a nice scenery while we're working, I guess. I like it. <laughs> yeah, we've spent a fair bit of time in California over the years. We use a lot of dimensional fund advisors in our practice, and their head office used to be in Santa Monica on Ocean Boulevard? Is yeah, Ocean I think so. Boulevard? Yep. That's actually where my wife and I met. Really? Yeah, we lived in Santa Monica for a long time, and I lived on Wilshire and Barrington, which is about, gosh, from Ocean, maybe seven blocks up. And my wife lived on 19th in Montana. So it kind of goes down the blocks from there. So we're just up from the water there. But Santa Monica, it's a sweet spot for the Barrett household. It's where my wife and I met. And so I know that area well. Yeah. Well, geez, that kind of leads into our first question, actually, Brad. Like, tell us your story. How'd you end up where you are today? Yeah, you know, 
I probably, and all of us as advisors here on this show in particular too, you know, we all have our own path to this and like probably what you guys share with your clients. And I know what I share with my clients is there's always something cathartic in our life that happens that leads us to certain things, whether it's around money or anything else. And for me, it was when I was 16 years old, my dad had worked for a uh, telecommunications company for like 20 years, like even before I was born. And it ended up being acquired and acquired and acquired. It became a pretty large public company. And July of, I want to say it was 2002, I believe. I was 16 years old and the company went bankrupt, like almost overnight. Just a typical corrupt CEO kind of deal. And we lost everything. My dad, the whole deal. And I remember thinking at that point, as any 16-year-old does, you think you know the world, but you really don't, right? <laughs> and just being kind of mad and pissed off. And I walked into a bank and I kind of just said, my purpose was I want to know two things, right? Everything I could find about money so that that didn't happen to me. And then that's also when I realized I wanted to do that for others. And so I've been in this business, financial services industry, so to speak, for 20 years. I was worked in high school as a teller. So I always tell people, like, I never flipped a burger, whether that's good or bad. I just, this is all I've ever been in, you know, and went to undergrad, got my economics degree and joined up with a broker dealer firm while I was going through college and basically started my practice there and came over to One Capital in 2011. And we came over, we had about half a billion dollars or so under management at that time. There was like seven of us, I think. And, you know, since then we've grown it to a little over $5 billion in AUM for clients across US and Canada. And we have about 85 to 90 staff. And so it's been a great ride. It's very fun. Couldn't imagine better partners here at the firm. Our actually founder, Don McDonald, he's actually Canadian. He came from Winnipeg. He worked for Asante, came down in the late nineties, loved California weather, like you were saying, Colin, and just stayed. And that was the birth of one capital, if you will. So that's kind of a high level as to, you know, how I got here and, you know, what I continue to do for our clients is really just provide that kind of story with the philosophy and the education and the experience now in my world of just kind of sharing that with clients as we go through anything from planning to investment strategies and, and so on. Cool. It's interesting, Brad, because here in Calgary, Calgary is a very much a oil and gas industry. And so, you know, just hearing your story about your father and working for a hotel company, watching it go bankrupt. Well, that's a very common story here in Calgary. Yeah, Lots of small cap oil and gas companies that get started up. And, you know, when things are great, they're wonderful. But when oil prices fall, it's a really painful situation for a lot of people between layoffs and companies going bankrupt. Yeah, it sets the tone for a lot of things that we do. We get, I mean, it, it's interesting, right? As advisors, it's one of those seats that we are kind of blessed to sit in to be able to like, hey, remember that plan we put together for these different scenarios and this scenario played out? That's why we do it. And it's super important to do so. And you know what's interesting about that too, Stephen, is like in the small cap space or the micro cap space, like it's almost like you understand it's a little more volatile. What was interesting about what happened to me and my, and my dad really was it was a large cap. It was, it was a massive company. I mean, it was well-known. It was very well-known. It was in the news. It was big, you know? So it was kind of like these thousands of employees that were there weren't expecting it because it was an established place. You know what I mean? So it was almost like there was a, in the same way you were saying about the small cap, it was almost like a, a total shock because it was like, how could this be? This this giant that went under versus a startup or, or these, you know, that are more fluctuated with markets and neither one are good to get you in that the location that we work in, obviously, and where you guys are, you know, we have to work on that. And that's where planning comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Can't yeah. agree more. Well, very cyclical by nature, the various industries, let alone having a corrupt CEO, which obviously throws something else into the mix. But but yeah, I mean, it's interesting here because coming out of, or well, when we're in the, the heart of COVID, 
And there was that day where oil traded at negative $35 a barrel, like they would pay you to take the oil. (laughs) You know, that really, really impacts our local audience for sure. Things obviously got a lot better last year. Oil was peaking over $100 a barrel again and has pulled back to somewhere 60 to 70. Well, it's hard to be advisors in a location too, where you know that the main industry is obviously cyclical. I always say when it comes to advisors, like you want to find someone you can trust, has a fiduciary, you know, has his experience, all those things, but also has a special niche in your specific area, like you guys are doing for your clients, right? Because let's say they they were to contact us, for example, like I said, well, I'm telling you right now, we're not local in the Calgary, Alberta area, meaning I'll understand how to plan and we could do a good job, but someone who's like boots on the ground, if you will, who understands the cyclical nature might be more of an experienced advisor for you, you know what I mean? Given your it's kind of like the whole idea of hiring an advisor who's a generalist versus a specialist. You know, it's like, when's the last time you went to, a, you know, go get brain surgery from an orthopedic surgeon? You know what I mean? Like, you don't do that. <laughs> or a naturopath. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I liken it to getting in an airplane and, you know, you're flying through turbulence. And I like the fact that a pilot has a lot of experience and can get me through that turbulence without too much worry. I would get a little worried if I got into a big airplane and some freshly minted pilot right out of flight school was flying me through Hurricane Sandy. Like there's where I'd get a little, it'd be a little disconcerting. Yeah. And it's confidence, right? It's mental. It's psychological. You know, a client is going to sit with you kneecap to kneecap or via Zoom nowadays, whatever it might be. There is a notion when we go our, do our discovery process, probably a lot like you guys do, when you're first meeting a new client on their side, they won't necessarily mention this, but there's a, a trust factor there knowing that either they were referred to you by somebody, so there's an immediate connection there, or they know that you're down the street, they've heard of you guys or seen of you guys, or in your discussion with them, you're sharing with them, hey, we have a lot of clients that we help that are actually in specifically your arena or whatever. And there was a comfort level with that, no different than your knowledge of the pilot who you know is a seasoned pilot versus a fresh rookie saying, hey, my first flight, thanks for joining me kind of thing. Like you don't want that. No. (laughs) Yeah. You definitely don't want the letter that says, Hey, I've been a pilot for blank years. Yeah. One year. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So Steve, we got to get some questions in here. What do most people get wrong about money? I've shared this a lot with people, but I think, you know, more than anything, you know, we were just talking about some of the events that we get to in life and we meet with clients and like I said, for our firm, at least we're blessed to work with a lot of different clients in different arenas with different zeros behind their name. And I think the common denominator I've seen in 20 years that we get wrong about money is that money is less important than we actually make it out to be. Because really the ultimate idea, and we know this, especially this movement in the past five or 10 years, I've noticed, I don't know if you guys have, right, is this idea of time. And you know, my seven-year-old son thinks I probably do the most boring thing in the world, and he's probably not wrong, but I love it. And I tell him that my only parlor trick is I can show somebody clear as day that time matters more than money because money actually buys time for us. And so when we talk about money, what I think people get wrong about money is this idea of grow, 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 look over the fence, compare yourself, lose your joy because someone else has more than you and and it kind of just keeps going down this rabbit hole, right? And so I share with people a lot the notion of if a 95-year-old came to you today and said, hey, I'll trade places with you and I'll give you, I don't know, make a number of a billion dollars. If you're 60 years old, You'd be like, why would I do that? A billion dollars sounds nice, but I got to trade places with this guy permanently. So I just lost 35 years of my life. So it's an easy way for us to reframe the money game context. And what I think people get wrong about money, don't get me wrong. Obviously what we do, growth, protection of growth, ultimately income and retirement, all very important things to live throughout life. But at some point you're going to go through this accumulation phase 
you know, and as, if you have a good advisor and a good plan and a good strategy going forward, you can, again, back to the analogy Colin made, is avoid the turbulence as best you can, or at least get through it with some peace. But ultimately, you're going to be at this cliff at some point being like, okay, I've, I've done what I set out to do. Is my identity wrapped up in the money side of things? Because then it's going to be harder for me to get down it and actually enjoy life or live retirement out of abundance versus, let's say, scarcity. And so longer would an answer to the question of, which is a good one, obviously, around you know what people get wrong. I just think it's important to know that money is a tool that can be used to what you want it to be used for, not that the ultimate game and the ultimate use of money is to grow and keep growing and attach your soul and your identity to it. So a lot more psychological, I guess, or behavioral financial traits there. Well, that's a good point, because don't you find that at the root cause of each of those financial questions is, am I going to be all right? And that can be framed in what kind of return did I get or how much debt should I take? But at the root cause is, is am I going to be all right? You're right. And the, the, I mean, we know this, right? It can be said different ways, but the one concern any client at any stage of life they're going to be in when they come to someone like us as an advisor, right, is am I going to be all right? Am I going to have enough money? Am I always going to have enough money, right? We talk about sustainability with our money, right? And ultimately the longevity of it. I mean, that's, for me and my story, that hits on the two behavioral traits that we all have. And I think it's important for us, all of us, anyone who's listening to understand this, like we all have two things going on, right? We have kind of the God-given DNA, like the no different than the color of our eyes kind of thing. And then the stuff that happens in our life, the circumstantial stuff, right? Good or bad. You know, we've met with clients, I'm sure you guys can think of a client who grew up with money and they have a different context of money than someone who didn't grow up with a lot of money. And neither one is right or wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying our job is to meet them where they are and address the same. What's interesting, right? To your point, Colin, is that they each have kind of the same concern or question is, you know, am I going to have enough? Will I always have enough? Is this going to do what I want to do in my lifestyle? And that's where, you know, a solid plan comes in and basically a strategy that, you know, can get through the turbulence and you got to instill some discipline and see it through. So you actually touched on this a little bit like behavioral. So how does behavioral finance, behavioral biases impact how people invest and save? We can probably talk for hours on this, right? I think psychologically speaking, it's the common floor, I think, for anybody is how we relate to our money. I mean, back to my, I mean, I just had, it was interesting about a month or two ago, and I shared this on another show as well. In a span of a week, I had two review meetings with clients. And it was very interesting because I actually used it for our show as a topic. Obviously, I never share personal information, but it was kind of a common theme I had seen. It has to do with behavioral finances. I had a client who I was doing a review with that had just lost their parent. And their parent had worked at a job for like 35 years, had saved everything, right? And basically, seven months later, came down with a brain tumor. And four months after that, passed away. And no joke, about four days later, I had a review meeting with someone who literally, they were talking about their parents. They were in their 70s. And their parents were like 98 and 99. And the concerns I had in a span of like, I don't know, 72 hours were so vastly different on the behavioral traits of these clients. One was worried about basically, I want to live for today because honestly, I don't want to follow my dad's route of working 35 years and saving and then have it all be gone within seven months. And then literally three days later, four days later, it was the opposite side saying, I want to save more. I want to invest more because I might be around here for a lot longer than I intend. You know what I mean? And so our job as advisors is to meet them. I'm kind of going, this is actually kind of amazing. In a span of one week, I have two polar opposite sides of a client concern or addressing a plan and what we all would say is the unique and tailor plan because they are unique and tailored. those aren't just filler words those mean something to us and people can 
belittle it and say, oh, you say that to everybody. I'm like, no, that's a great example. Like those two plans were run very differently because the needs of the client and the goals of the client were vastly different. And it hits to the psyche of that client, right? Because those two events were actually what I would fall into the camp of circumstantial. They weren't DNA driven. They weren't like the natural, right? These were things that happened in their life. And now they're re kind of imagining, if you will, their thought on money. You know, these are people in their fifties and sixties at this point. So whatever they had gone through at that point, behaviorally with their finances had kind of shifted because of a cathartic event. In the one case, it was their dad passing away really unexpectedly. And the other realizing that they have a parent finally and dawning on them that they're 98, 99 years old and they're still healthy and like going to be around for probably a couple more years. So the psychology that we have growing up with money or without money and the stuff we live through that we've gotten taught from our parents or grandparents or mentors or colleagues or just the school of hard knocks, right? That's the circumstantial stuff of just realizing what you can and can't do with money. And, and all those things we learn along the way, at some point when they come into a meeting with an advisor, they're bringing all that to you. So our job is to kind of uncover that. And we have to do it through very strategic questions and building trust with the client so that we can kind of get to know who they are, right? We know this as know your client, the KYC, right? And meeting them and realizing like, the client I might've had at 9 a.m. this morning is very different than the client at one. And it happens every day. And so behavioral financial stuff plays into everything, you know, I think when a good advisor would do. I find even within couples, as I mentioned at the beginning, Steve and I do enjoy golfing. And there's a couple that would take us golfing every year. And we golfed with them in October of 2022. And the husband was complaining about some pain that he was going through Long story short, he passed away just before Christmas. So that was, you know, two months, right? And Steve and I went to see him at the hospice. And it was a very emotional time, of course, for him and his family. And as he was on his so-called deathbed, he asked me, is my wife going to be okay? Is there enough there to fund the next 30 years of her life? It was so important to him that she be okay, even though he accepted his situation. And so you talk about dealing with that between different meetings at different times of the day with different couples, but you run into that within the same couple with different time horizons, right? Whether they they planned on it or not, that's just what happens, right? No, 100%. And that's one of the beautiful seats we get to sit in, trusted relationships like that. I think we all know this too, and you're totally right. I mean, we can talk about totally different clients, but within marriages, I mean, the number one subject talked about constantly is money. We know this. We deal with it constantly with them. And the, you're right, the different timelines and their individual and respective goals themselves with money as well as within the context of the marriage and for their kids maybe and just legacy planning and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that gives me chills, right? You know, obviously us as men sitting here, if we were on our deathbed. We want to be able to be able to say that, hey, we did the planning right and we have the right trusted partner who actually happens to be here, which is an amazing relationship that I can ask that final question and have some solace as God calls me back up. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. It 100% is. And the psychology of that is amazing. I mean, how powerful of a mind do you have to be to accept the situation and still ask, take care of the other? I mean, that's a, we want to honor that. And to be honest, I felt very privileged to be in that situation with that couple in that they trusted us to be part of that 
and answering that question. And that literally was the last conversation I ever had with this person before they passed away. Anyway, so I don't want to get too too down in the in the dumps on this stuff. Pretty, some pretty deep stuff here. <laughs> it does get deep. I think that's the point. Is that no, it does. But I mean, it definitely plays on the question which Stephen asked. With it plays on the behavioral psyche. You know, there's always this undertone. It's funny. We all daily probably want to talk about the growth and the returns and all the stuff that we know is the sexy part of money or whatever, right? But really what matters over the course of that life is that you're growing and protecting it at some point and ultimately distributing it and then ultimately realizing that you actually have enough to do what you want to do. I mean, that's that's kind of the real quick down and dirty evolution of money, right? And everyone likes to focus on, you know, again, those bells and whistles of money, which is growing and returns and what stock to do and all this kind of stuff. But I've always said to clients, like, it's not always what you own, but how you own it. And the, the sooner you understand that concept, you start getting into the realization that growth is great to a point. You have growth in the wrong areas, right? It's like having the right investment in the wrong accounts. You and I could label off a bunch of them right now. Here in the States, at least having an immunity and a tax deferred accounts, like why, right? Or just little things like that that come in that clients are like, I had no idea. I just thought growth was growth. But reality is it actually ultimately we know the end game, which is that question you might be asked in that trusted relationship. But we need to look back and say we did it the right way, you know, and you guys were trusting us along the way. So it, it all plays in that question of behavioral finances for sure. Right on. Steve, what do we got next? Okay. So aside from all the behavioral stuff, question that we get a lot and, you know, wanted your take on is should I pay off debt first or invest first? Yeah, I think guys, right. That's one of the things, you know, you guys are golfers, right? So let's use a golf analogy, right? My analogy always with debt and investing, which is a good question, a very common one. It's like teeing off on a par three with a gust of wind at your face, right? You got to take a long driver to go, you know, 120 yards when normally you'd probably do a nine iron pitching wedge, whatever it might be. So it's kind of understanding what investments you're doing, given what you're, if you have debt right now, carrying it, I would say at least double digits, you know, you have to really understand that you might want to start looking at paying down the debt because you're basically golfing in the wind, right? You have to take a longer club, go and take out maybe more risk, right? There's more risk in putting out a driver. It's a longer club, which means you can't hit it as well as a short iron, right? And in that analogy, same thing in an equity environment. If you got 10, 11, 12% interest rates on something you're paying debt on and you have investments going on, that's great. But that arbitrage might be too high for you to be able to make a net positive arbitrage. And so I think the first thing about debt, in my opinion, is always kind of organizing it and realizing what's secured, what's unsecured, and then where the debt lies. Like, you know, you can make the same analogy, like, well, do I should I pay off a three and a half percent, four percent mortgage? I mean, again, the arbitrage is pretty low. So you can probably get a pretty good long money portfolio designing more than that. And therefore, at the end of the 30 year amortized situation, obviously you have more in the bank. So it's definitely a contextual question there. But I think for most people, you know, in the smaller amounts, but with the higher interest rate, to me, it comes down to interest rate. I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but I mean, there's there's two methods, right? The avalanche method and the snowball method, right? The avalanche obviously attaches the higher interest rate and pay that off first. The snowball kind of focuses on the lower debt or the lower balance. Depends on either one, but I think anyone out there with high interest rates, that's probably an area you want to look at to pay down first before you invest. Because even if you go get a stellar return of seven, eight, nine, maybe 10%, but you're paying 15%, it's like you still lost 5% on your net, you know, your net net. Well, I find even now there was a lot of people in Canada anyways, I'm sure the US the same, but that took variable rate mortgages a year, year and a half ago when interest rates were at, in Canada, you know, the prime lending rate was around 2%. And instead of taking a, a fixed five-year term, they chose a variable rate mortgage at, I don't know, 1.75%. all sounded good, right? And fast forward to today, and that variable rate mortgage is now like six and a half to seven percent. 
And so their borrowing costs have dramatically changed. So I guess, Steve, to you, the answer I have to that question right now is like, it all depends. You know, I mean, if you had a 1.75% mortgage a year and a half ago, and now it's 7%, maybe you should really be focusing on paying off that mortgage. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, we're talking... Yeah, I think people classify like don't pay off the mortgage. Like, no, 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 it's not don't pay off the mortgage. It's figure out what the organize your debt, right? Is that mortgage at four and fixed or is the mortgage at four and variable a year ago and now it's at seven? I totally agree with you. To me, as soon as that arbitrage, but that sorry, the interest rate goes above maybe let's call it five. To me, that's when you start thinking about, okay, is my long money portfolio gonna outpace this debt interest rate I'm paying? Right. And that's a subjective number, but that's kind of when I say to clients, start thinking about it, you know, and, and if it's variable and it's going to go, keep going up even more to that point, if it's south yeah. of five and it's fixed, probably lends to the case of really more focusing on your portfolio and how you're designing it. And for the time period too. Right. And remember that's for secured debt. But then there's a whole other conversation, right. With unsecured debt, which is typically higher interest rate. And obviously it doesn't have collateral and typically not used for anything that's an investment, right. Or any tax benefits to it. Those are like the three trades, right? So what is the number one thing investors should be doing now and in the future? Ooh, not to sound blanketed, but feeling frisky this morning. Let me just say it, invest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know, and obviously that's a broad statement. I mean, seek counsel, go with an advisor, make sure you understand where you're going. But I've never seen anyone grow wealth or protect their wealth by sitting on the sidelines. I don't know who I'm speaking to out there, but I mean, reality, you got to think about it, right? The whole idea of when to jump in and all that kind of stuff and what you need to be doing with your money, it's it's do something, right? Take action, right? The whole difference between success and failure is the actual ability to take action. So I think more than anything as maybe lame of an answer that might be, it's take action, find counsel, find an advisor, work with them to build a plan, make sure the investments you would look at is strategic in the sense of where you want to go with your money and, you know, be disciplined with it and, and build wealth. That is all good advice because my least favorite conversation with people is like when they say something around, you know, I'd like to invest, but I want to wait for things to get better. We all have that one friend that does that. You're like, wait a minute. So you would invest, but you want to wait until the market goes up and then you're going to invest. It doesn't sound right to me. It's back to the psyche, right? It's amazing what the mind tells us. And one quick analogy is for time. Like, so I've been surfing my entire life growing up in California. I lived in Hawaii. I, I do a lot of surfing. Okay. And no matter if you're a surfer or not, you know, oceans, right? We know that tides go in and out. And there's certain surf spots you have to kind of jump off the rocks. It's kind of a little bit hairy to get off to. And I'll see amateur novice guys or whatever who say they know what they're doing, right? And they'll be on this rock. And what you need to do when you jump off a rock like that is actually wait when the tide is low where you can see the rocks. But that's when it looks the sketchiest to jump. The reason being, when by the time you jump, the water comes back up and now you land on the cushioned area and you go back out. It's the same with investing, right? We kind of look at this, oh, the tide's up. Now I'm going to jump, right? And as soon as they jump, the tide goes back out. Now they're landing on the rocks. And I share that with my clients here on the West Coast that are more water oriented and they, and they understand that analogy. But it's so true how the mind tells us like, okay, yeah, I'm going to wait for it to get softened up. And it's like, what do you exactly wait? I always ask, like, just, bro, I'm just curious. What exactly are you waiting for? Right? Because these economic black swans that we see, whether it's the debt ceiling right now, uh, supply chain issues, inflation, I mean, I can name a whole host of them. Like, they're not just going to, you know, mysteriously just go away altogether. There's always going to be something. I mean, there's, Studies left and right, there's about 200 what they call black swan events every year. It could be as simple as a CEO having a mistress to our government spending too much money, right? But it is somehow it disrupts the market. So there's always going to be something. And so, again, I always tell people like, yeah, you're never going to build wealth or even protect your wealth by sitting on the sidelines. So back to the previous question, it's like, 
get out there, get after it. Yeah. yeah. Can't yeah. agree more. Right on. Okay. So speed round. Yeah. So you've done all the heavy lifting. Congratulations. Uh, you're obviously, I got well, through, huh? yeah, you're obviously well-practiced in the uh, arena of podcasting and presenting. So that was really great. But the speed round, we're going to hit you with a couple easy ones and then some Canadian specific ones. Cause that's what we like to do. So, you know, when you're not working, what are you doing for fun? Sounds like you're surfing or doing something else. What, what do you do? Surfing. I play, I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old as well. So I'm doing a lot of sports with the seven-year-old coaching his baseball and just having some fun with that kind of stuff. He's actually getting into hockey next weekend. So I played hockey for about 15 years. So oh. I'm excited for that. Cool. Cool. Steve, what do you got? Any books you're reading right now? I am rereading probably for the third time, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Oh, I, that's such a good book. book. Yeah. Yeah, such a good book. I mean, I literally, I'm on my third. I just, I can't put it down. It's amazing. So I re- highly recommend that book. I met Morgan last September in California, actually. I went to a conference called Future Proof at Huntington Beach and got a chance to meet him there. And that is a great book. I would recommend that one for anybody. Yeah. So on that note, any shows you're watching? You binge anything? Are you that type of person? No. no? You know, my wife and I, we're not not big TV. And obviously with the season of life that we're in with a seven and five-year-old, if it's not, you know... Some Power Rangers or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing on the on the background. It's it's Sports Center. So yeah, that's yeah. about all I'd say there. Well, just <laughs> wait till they're older because Steve and I are kids are older. Oh geez, yeah. you know, mine are nineteen and seventeen, and they yeah. could care less if I'm in the room. So we do binge a lot of TV these days. No, I know. Trust Hence me, that's why I said like I used to. Yeah. My wife and I we used to, and then now it's you know Lost. I remember Lost was my big show years oh, ago. Oh yeah. What was the deal you with know, that black kids. smoke? You know, it's funny, right? That show took on so many like mythical, you know, rabbit hole endeavors and the online stuff. I don't even know where it ended. Honestly, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Steve. You mentioned that's why we're golfing too. Well, that's right. You know, our kids are older. Yeah. So now it's reclaimed some of our time. Yeah. And for us, that does mean binging and more golf. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'll be honest with you guys. I'm I'm hearing you guys, and I'm in this season right now. Where I'm like, oh man, do I want to be there? <laughs> oh. Hey, I'll trade you spots. I'll, yeah, I'll trade you. I know, right? Yeah. You know, like, people say so. It's very interesting, right? And this is true of money, life. We do this for clients too. It's just really crazy, right? I always was told, and I never understood it till recently. The days are long, but the years are short. You know, and it's like we just had a three-day weekend here celebrating Memorial Day, and uh, it was a great weekend. But with kids, I mean, you have to entertain them for twelve hours a day for three days straight. My wife and I on Monday were just like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, yeah, exhausted. And the days are long, Need a vacation, <laughs> but they're seven and five, and they're just getting older by the minute. So it's crazy. <laughs> okay, a couple of Canadian-specific trivia questions for you. I grew up in a place called Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, just east of Calgary, Alberta. How do you spell Saskatchewan? S a s k. A T C H W E N. Oh, you're so close. You missed an E, but the, I got to tell you, that's one ah, that's of the closer really attempts. Very good. Very well done. Very well done. I should know that a little bit more. I mean, obviously playing hockey, I played a lot through all the provinces. I should know that one. <laughs> missed an E. Missed an E. All right. So, Tuke or Beanie? Down here, it's Beanie, but I actually, my managing director, who's in Toronto, a great guy, works with our NHL players. We had a conversation down in Atlanta in a meeting, and I was going through it. We were like, we were riffing each other, like the Tuke versus Beanie thing. I'm like, dude, no one says Tuke down here. You know what I know is Tuke? Tukes are the chassis on my Bauer ice hockey skates. That's what I knew. Ah. 
Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Because you look at the chassis of my Bauer, of all Bauer skates, like back in the day, it was Vapor 8s and all these new ones or whatever, but it was called Tukes. So when he said that, I'm like, what are you talking about a skate chassis for? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, I was in Santa Monica and I'm an LA Dodgers fan. I went to a little, I think it was a Lids or something on the main, main drag there. Was it third or fifth? I can't remember. What street is that? It's called Third Street Promenade. Yeah, Third Street Promenade. So I'm in this Lids and the Dodgers were in the World Series that year when I was there. And I wanted to bring home some gifts for my kids. So I asked the person who works there, hey, where are your toques? And they said, what? <laughs> I said, your toques. Say what? I said, those, you know, wool caps with the pom-poms on the top of them. Oh, you mean beanies? Yeah, yeah, beanies. Where yeah. are your beanies? You know, it was pretty fun. I always said this. It's, it's so funny to me that we share a border and have so many, so many things in common. But there's these vernaculars that are so different that if you say it, they're like, I don't really yeah. understand what you're saying right now. Well, the other one that gets me is we say pop, you say soda. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of that. We have some clients and some people I've known and some guys I play hockey with that are from like the Minnesota, upper Chicago area. Oh, yeah. The Idaho's and the Iowa area. They call it pop. Sure. It's just kind of a geographical thing, I think, here in the States as well as in Canada. But yeah, yeah. I had a, a good friend I knew in college. She was from Iowa. And I remember hearing a freshman year, she go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'll order some pop. I'm like, I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean coke? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, listen, that's probably that's probably it. Hey, we've yeah. we've taken up enough of your time. We know you got to get on to your next venture. But Brad, we really appreciate you doing yeah, this thanks today, again, Brad. One last thing, Steve, are we recommending Brad's show? Make your money matter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course we are. Yeah. Why wouldn't we? Well, I appreciate that. I mean, obviously, I, I was listening to some episodes from you guys. I think you guys do a great job. Obviously, for listeners who are listening to this, they already know that. But keep up the good work, man. It's fun to be advisors and to have a platform like this to share stuff. I know we do that on our Make Your Money Matter show, and it's work. It's not easy to get it out there, but I find it therapeutic to get some things out that we see daily within the clients and we can share with others. So, yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again. Yeah, and thanks, we'll Brad. catch up with you another time. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.